Our sermon passage this morning is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So good to see you all this morning. If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn to Psalm 23. Uh, Here at Redeemer, we are spending the month of July and August in the Psalms, and looking particularly at um, just different of these, these prayers and these devotions and these songs of worship that are recorded for us in the book known as the Psalms. And so today we're going to devote our time and our attention to Psalm 23. Um, anytime I'm asked to speak at a funeral, my first spot to go to Psalm 23. Most of you probably turn to this page in your Bible at a funeral or when someone has died. That's very appropriate because this psalm teaches us that God nurtures his children all the way into everlasting life through the shadow of death. And if we don't have hope that God's blessing and grace carries through this life, we, we, we have no hope. But as I was studying this passage this week and praying, I became overwhelmed that I don't think David, the author of this passage, really has death in his purview at all. So I'm not, I think Psalm 23 at a funeral, Psalm 23 to minister to those who are grieving, I'm all for it. Count me in. Don't mishear anything that I'm saying. Preach it at my funeral if you must, okay? Don't mishear me. But I don't think that that is David's purview at all. I think that David is speaking to himself to cultivate in himself hope in the power of the God who is with him. I think that David is speaking to himself to cultivate in himself confidence that God will nurture him and care for him and never leave him and be with him. So maybe we should say it this way. Perhaps the Psalm 23 at a funeral is more for those who are living than for those who have passed away. And my challenge this morning is to cause us to see this psalm not just as a memorial for the dead, but as a declaration of faith for the living. Because what the Bible teaches us to do is that, yes, crazy people talk to themselves when they walk down the street, but Christians talk to themselves all the time to convince ourselves that God is real, that the word is true, that if he is with us, we have everything I need. I must talk to myself to believe the gospel and to bear fruit for the glory of God. And I believe that's what David's doing right here. He's talking to himself. He's saying, David, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. 
He's saying, David, the Lord makes me, you lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads you beside still waters. The Lord restores your soul. The Lord leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, David, you walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, you don't have to fear any evil for God is with you. God's rod and God's staff will comfort you. God prepares a table for you, David, in the presence of your enemies. God anoints your head with oil. God makes your cup overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that the right way to interpret this song, this psalm, I keep dropping stuff. I'm sorry, just let it fly. The right way to interpret this psalm is a declaration of faith in God that's intended to produce faith, joy, confidence, obedience, and long-suffering for the glory of God. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we will see this psalm the way David wrote it as a way to minister to the living and not be merely a memorial for those who have died. So for my note-taking friends, the first point The Lord is dot, dot, dot. I promise I'm going to spend way more time on the first verse than I do on all the other verses, but I also promise that we'll be out of here by at least 2.30 or 3 today. (laughs) There's really no good sporting events going on this afternoon, so, I mean, what, what hurry are we in, right? The Lord is. Look at verse 1. The thesis... The main point and the overarching message of this psalm is found in this one verse. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So notice what what David does here. He makes a statement about God very personal to him. And then he says, Because God is faithful to his covenant, my life, my mind, my faith, and my countenance will be changed. David is preaching, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So notice what he does there, okay? David says, the Lord, those first two words, you've probably heard this a million times, but I'm going to say it one more time. In the Old Testament particularly, and in the Bible at large, when the word Lord is in all caps like that, like it is in your Bible, that that means the word Yahweh. That's the, the name of God as he revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you see that, what you should think of is a covenantal creator. The creator of the heavens and the earth has entered covenant by his word with a particular people to bless them and keep them and build them and minister to them for his glory. And so every Jew believed that there was Yahweh. Every Jew believed that there was the Lord. But notice what David does. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. See what he does there? It's almost preposterous to think about. David is personalizing God's character. David is personalizing God's promises. David is personalizing God's faithfulness to Israel and saying it applies to me because I am one of his sheep. So in this, these first five words is a bold declaration that changes everything for David, changes everything for the rest of this psalm, changes everything for his life as king of Israel, and I would say has the potential to change everything for us. 
This psalm gives us permission to take the covenantal promises of God and by faith in Christ apply them to ourselves. So what say you? The Lord is. The invitation this morning would be, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So Americans, do not hear under I shall not want, I will always get what I want. Do not hear health and wealthy kind of like, if we trust God, we get everything we want. I picked on BMWs last week, so I'll go Mercedes this week, okay? This is not saying that if you trust the Lord as your shepherd, you will get that new tip-top Mercedes, even though you have zero dollars in your bank account. That is not what is being said here. What is being said here is, because the Lord is my shepherd, Hebrew phrase, I shall not want, I will not lack what I need. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and provisionally, I will not lack what I need because the Lord keeps his word to his people. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is creator. Yahweh is sustainer. And Yahweh is my shepherd. And so insert here everything that we know about sheep. Insert here everything we know about shepherds. Sheep are not the smartest animals and they need to be guided. But a good shepherd causes his or her sheep to be fed, protected, nurtured, and cared for. And so David is saying, the Lord, the creator of all, who is able to do all things and is powerful to accomplish all things, is my shepherd, meaning he is going to keep me and provide for me and care for me. And that is a declaration of faith. Now, let me say one more thing. Jesus gives us permission to read Psalm 23 and think of him. John chapter 10, the whole thing, we just studied that here at Redeemer, if, if, if you're our guest today, but John 10, the whole thing, is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And what he's saying is, is that when David or anyone else in the Old Testament said, the Lord is my shepherd, what he's saying is, the Lord shepherds his people through me because of who I am and because of what I have done. So John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so when we look at verse 1 of Psalm 23, what, what we should see is the Lord is my shepherd, not because I deserve for the Lord to be my shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd because Jesus laid down his life so that I could become a part of the flock. What we should see is the Lord is my shepherd because Jesus fulfilled every word that God ever spoke and every promise that God ever made. And then he laid down his life so that sheep like us could be welcomed into God's flock. And so my burden for us this morning is to look at Psalm 23, verse 1, and fill in the blank. The Lord is is how do I respond to Jesus? How do I respond to God's salvation extended in Christ? Perhaps for the first time today, 
you need to respond to Jesus. Perhaps for the first time today, you need to respond to Jesus by saying, I see the need for a broken person like me to have a savior and a redeemer, and I run to Jesus. If that's where you are today, you you can, just where you sit, you can pray to the Lord and you can confess that, and I believe that he'll hear you and he will minister to you and he'll respond to you, and then I would love to talk to you about that later. Then, for those of us who say, the Lord is my shepherd, my prayer is that those words would not be hollow things for a funeral, but they would be words that shape the way we process our darkness, our disappointment, our fear, our grief, our loss, our absence of tangible blessing, our hurts, our wants, our needs, that the promise, the declaration that the Lord is my shepherd would bring hope and confidence and peace to us today. A friend and a mentor of mine named Phil Newton, he's a pastor over in Memphis, it was um, revealed this week that he has an untreatable and unoperable, inoperable form of cancer. So yesterday morning, I was doing two things. I was studying Psalm 23, and I was trying to come up with something to say to my friend over email. And this is all I could come up with, but I think... It's what the Lord would want us to take from this psalm. I said, Phil, I love you. I appreciate your impact in my life. I said, Phil, I'm studying Psalm 23 today. Don't have to tell him what it says. He knows. I'm praying that the Lord would comfort you and minister to your dark day the same way that he did to David when David wrote this psalm. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for all of us because I am perhaps naive a little bit, but I believe that most of our sin and rebellion and craziness is rooted in insecurity and loneliness and isolation. And if we could just believe that God has covenantally and eternally promised that he will be with us and meet with us and care for us and minister to us and never leave us and never forsake us, that our souls would be transformed as they are transfixed on Jesus. And I believe that as that happens, things like love the Lord with all your heart just flows out of who we are. And things like love your neighbor as yourself flows out of that fixation on Jesus. And things like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord flows out of being transfixed on this all-encompassing, all-benevolent, all-caring love of God that changes everything. And if you think I'm oversimplifying things, just watch your kids or the immature people in your life. Watch them this week and tell me how much of their craziness is rooted in insecurity, doubt, fear, and isolation. Just tell me. And then know that Jesus came to break down all those barriers so that we would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything that I need to glorify God. So I believe that Psalm 23 and verse 1 is words, are words for war. 
And I don't mean physical war in the Middle East. I mean spiritual war for my hope, my faith, my soul, my life, my family, this church. And I'm calling you to take it up the way David wrote it. That we would find great ministry and comfort and confidence in the Lord who is our shepherd. And believe that because the Lord is our shepherd, we will not be in want. Second point, if you're a note taker. The point is extravagant in dot, dot, dot. I want us to see that the Lord is not with clenched teeth and half-hearted, empty, emotionally ministering to his people, but he is extravagantly blessing his people with mercy and love and compassion and provision and protection. I want us to see that God doesn't keep his word to us out of some form of empty obligation, but he does it with joy. And I think the rest of the words of this psalm are intended to heap that up for us. So I think we could read this and go, yeah, green pastures, still waters, paths of righteousness, banquet tables, and we could think about it like a prison guard serving the prisoners, There's your food. There's your water. There's your blessing. Don't die and don't disappoint me. I'll shoot you. If not, I might tase you in the kneecap. I don't know if that's real. You guys that shoot things, like, don't judge me, okay? And if you're carrying today, just keep in your pocket. That's not God's disposition at all. And I saw this firsthand last week. And so if you'll allow me a story, I I hope this becomes how we hear this psalm. Um, My sons and I had to go to state tournament um, for baseball in the the bustling metropolis of Lewisburg, Tennessee. Anybody here not know where that is? Yeah. So here's what they don't have in Lewisburg. Walmart, restaurants, hotels. But they can have a state tournament. Go figure. So we needed a place to stay. And so I called my uncle. We call him Bubba, very southern name. And um, hadn't seen my uncle since my mom passed away about 18 months ago. And I called him and I said, hey, Bubba, I I need a place to stay. Would it be okay if, if we stayed at your house? Absolutely. We were on the phone for about 30 seconds. When are you coming? Can't wait to see you. So in my mind... My uncle is giving us a key, a pillow, and some sheets. Didn't even think about how happy or displeased he might be with that. We get down there to Lewisburg, the bustling metropolis that is, and I called my uncle and I said, hey, just wanted you to know um, it'll probably be 8.30 or 9 before we get to your house tonight. I hope that's not too late. He's like, hey, we're at the baseball field. Wouldn't miss the game for anything. Then after the game, he's like, where do you want to go for dinner? Like, you just pick here in Lewisburg, whatever, be fine. (laughs) If it's not roadkill, like, we're good. And so I said, 
I said, hey, like, at least, like, like let me pick up the check. You know, I mean, you're, you're saving me money. No, no. So we have this argument at the table. I, I give in. Next morning, we stay up past midnight, like, just talking, catching up. The next morning, he gets up before 6 o'clock to go to the grocery store to buy groceries for us to have breakfast. His wife is cooking. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking, like, you didn't, you didn't have to do all this. Like, and then I said, like, hey, when, when we pull the sheets off the bed, like, you want us to, like, wash them? He's like, you know, you're going to leave them on the bed. Um, and then we're leaving. I was like, man, thank you so much for coming. He's like, what are you talking about? We're going to the game. Like, go to the game. After the game, like, where do you want to go eat? And I said, I said, well, like, like, please, like, let me, like, carry my weight. Like, I don't want to be a bomb. And he just looked at me and he said, Jamie, your family. Oh, and by the way, I learned that they had canceled a church outing in Alabama to be there on that weekend. I didn't know that at the beginning. And he just said, Jamie, your family. Like, just, just let us be happy that you're here. So put up the prison guard who just throws the food at the prisoners so they'll obey. And put up my Uncle Bubba's lavish kindness to me last weekend. And then tell me, which way should you read Psalm 23? I'm going to argue you should read it over here. But listen to it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Just so you know, most herds of sheep in the Middle East at this time had to move from field to field because they would run out of grass in a hurry. The Lord makes me lie down in a single pasture and enjoy being fed by him. He leads me beside still waters. Most sheep got, got water from a running stream where they had to hurry to take it and, and hurry to not be taken by um, wolves and other predators while drinking the water. He leads me beside still waters where I can slowly enjoy the nourishment of the water. He restores my soul. He doesn't just forgive me so I can go to heaven when I die. He restores my soul. All my brokenness, all my sin, all my rebellion, all the consequences of the stupid stuff I did, God restores my soul. Present tense. He leads me. He's going with me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You hear that? Every command in the scripture, God by his spirit leads us into them so that we by his help can honor him and keep his word and glorify him. We don't have to do that by ourselves. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Benevolence, extravagance, going to skip four for a minute. I'll come back. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. The image here is, I have enemies, but God's going to bring me into his house, to his table, where it's safe, and they can't get in, and he's going to make me a forever friend and a forever companion around his table. He prepared the table. He invited me in. He secured my place at it. He anoints my head with oil, a sign of friendship, a sign of blessing. My cup overflows. The Lord is going to bless me in such a way that my cup can't hold all the blessing. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So get this. God extravagantly provides for his children. He puts them in green pastures. He leads them by still waters. They will not want for what we need to honor him and bear fruit for his glory. God extravagantly cares for his children. He lets them lie down and rest in the provision of the green pastures. He lets us stand peacefully and restfully and joyfully beside the still water that he's provided so that we would enjoy his provision. He cares for us. He restores our soul. So God extravagantly provides. He extravagantly cares. He extravagantly guides us for our good and his glory. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now let's look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this certainly applies to our end of life, but I don't think that's what David has in mind. I think what David has in mind is he walks through a valley that's so dark he can't see his enemies and he don't, doesn't know who's going to attack him and it feels like death. And that's an idiomatic thing that I think is the right way to read this verse. And David says, even though, but, but who's led him there? God did. He's saying that the paths of righteousness always go through the valley of the shadow of death. And the God who leads us in paths of righteousness has also led us into the valley of the shadow of death. And he will also lead us out of it. Therefore, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the valley of the shadow of death is fun? No. Because Christians don't have fear? No. Because Christians are always joyful? No. Because God's people always have confidence in God? No. Because God is always with his children. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. Therefore, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so God extravagantly protects his children even in the valley of the shadow of death. The purpose of a shepherd having a rod is to ward off enemies. And God extravagantly disciplines and nurtures his sheep. The purpose of a shepherd having a staff is to grab a sheep by the neck and pull it into the right place. So hear this. God extravagantly provides for his children cares for his children, guides his children for good, protects his children, nurtures and disciplines his children. Now, a few applications of this. Number one, David says that God's extravagant care makes a difference for David. And I would say it would make a difference for us. He says, I shall not want. My soul is restored. I will fear no evil. I am comforted. 
I will be blessed by walking in goodness and mercy. What David is saying is, God extravagantly cares for his children and his extravagant provision and care and protection and guidance and discipline are gifts that are to be enjoyed and change everything about us. And that's all under this banner of shepherd. Verses five and six shift the metaphor a little bit from a shepherd to a dinner host. So the Lord is our good shepherd and he's our extravagant dinner host. And so what he's saying is not only does the Lord provide and care and guide and protect and discipline, but also he welcomes and he blesses and he lavishes and he ministers to us. And God's goodness and mercy extend from now into eternity. So if you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle verse 6. When is God our good shepherd? When does God minister to his children? When does the gospel bear fruit? When does our faith bring comfort and blessing and fear? I mean, comfort and blessing and absence of fear and confidence in God all the days of my life and forever. All the days of my life and forever. God is extravagant in his blessing of his children today, tomorrow, and forever. And so David, I believe, is declaring to us, he's calling to us, believe in the goodness of the Lord. Believe in God's desire to provide for, care for, guide, protect discipline, and lavish grace upon his children. So I don't know where you entered this room today. So I'm just going to go through a few scenarios here. If you entered in unbelief today, let me just say I'm so glad that you're here. But would you today consider this, that the God who made you, he exists, he's real, has brought you to this place so that you would be challenged to think of him as much, much more than a tyrant in the sky who wants to change your behavior, and to see him as a benevolent father who saves his children and lavishes his grace upon his children for their good and for their blessing and for their enjoyment now and forever. And I would invite you to that God. Perhaps you're here today stuck in your sin. You're stuck in your sin. And you know that God has saved you. You know that Jesus has forgiven you and you're stuck. I I, I would say to you, go back to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And declare to yourself that truth. And then look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And would you believe that that is true of you as well? 
Would you believe that God wants to deliver you of, of your struggle and work and your struggle, that Jesus came so that your soul would be restored, so that you would be led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake? And perhaps you're like, oh, pastor, that's not me. Okay, all those other hellion people like me who struggle with sin, would you believe that verse 3 is true for us, and would you pray that for us? Perhaps you're here today in apathy. Apathy, just uh, Jesus, church, Bible, eh. I'm busy. I got to go to work tomorrow. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy, but you know you felt that way, right? Would you feel the extravagant grace of the Lord that he's pouring out on you? And would you believe that it will bear fruit in your life? And would you pray for the Lord to bear fruit in your life? Perhaps you're here today and you're captivated by fear. You're captivated by fear. You're stuck in the rut of struggle. Would you allow this psalm to become an ointment, a salve that just washes over you and speaks to you and says, God cares for his children, which means God cares for me and he will minister to me. And David says, I need not fear. And perhaps you're here today and you're like, dude, this psalm's not true because my life is filled with want. I'm struggling with this. I don't have this. I'm praying for this and the Lord is not answering. It's like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back down. know where you are. I've been there. This promise is true. The Lord does hear. The Lord does answer. The Lord does minister. And so I would challenge you, would you pray that the Spirit of God would help you, A, believe that this is true, and B, would you pray that the Spirit of God would begin to show you all the ways that He is caring for you, providing for you, guiding you, protecting you, disciplining you, bearing fruit in your life? Would you Pray that God would allow you to see that. One of my new convictions as a person and as the pastor of this congregation is that God is busy working for us and answering our prayers in ways that we can't even see. And so I used to say, God's not at work. We're not fruitful. But I'm praying that the Lord would just change my mindset. God, would you show me the ways that you're working? God, would you show me the ways that you're answering prayers? God, would you show me the way that you're bringing blessing to this people for your glory? God, would you let me see what you are doing so that I can believe that you work and so that I can give you the appropriate glory that's due your name? So I'm praying, friends, that you would leave here today with these words in your mind and on your lips, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.